You want to move it a little closer, maybe, Lane? Whatever you think, whatever you think looks good. Um, we can only do so much with the material we have to work with, right? Last week, I shared a quote with you from John Piper's latest book uh, entitled Providence. Um, you may remember what he said. I can't get it out of my head because to me, in one short sentence, it boils down who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be about. Piper said, God created the world for God. I don't recall last week if I asked you the question, why is that good news? Did I ask you this question? I don't think I did. Why is that good news? Why is it good news that God created for God? Did we talk about that? I don't recall. I'm sorry. Why is it good news? Why do you think it's good news? Or is it good news? <laughs> well, I'm sure this is not true of anyone in here, but I mean, yeah, we know. We know, don't we? That uh, most of the world believes the universe is about them. God created for God. And you may recall he finished that thought with these words. God is the one for whom we exist. So we exist for God. Now this is quite an insight. If we actually believe that, and God created the world for God, then if we can do the existential math here, then I'm created for God. I'm created for God. And God is my satisfaction. You know, it's true, we talk about these things. God creates for God's glory, but what is God's glory to the, to the believer? What is it? It's our joy. So, so God is our joy. This is good news. God is the regenerate man or woman's joy. So... If everything's about God, then that means everything's about our joy. Do you understand my point? Everything is about our joy ultimately. This is good news. This is very good news. And God means that you and I will be captivated by who he is, right? So I, I wanted to start tonight with this question. Is it a, a fair accusation, shall, shall we say? Are you captivated? with Jesus Christ? Hey, I've met a lot of Christians over the years. It's just about doing a little church. You say, you say Jim, you're always on this thing. I, I know I'm on this thing because I lived this thing for 28 years. I was just a churchgoer for 28 years. I know what that's about, right? And then the Lord changed my life. So, are you captivated? Can I... Can I lovingly say, if you're not captivated, you have a lot of work to do. God means for you to be captivated. It's sort of what we see in the text. By and large, tonight in the Exodus account. So, we've been, we've been looking at God, you know, for the last three or four months. We've been talking about um, 
how good and faithful and awesome God is in the Psalms. Last week we saw what that looks like in a believer's life. What does it look like? Anybody remember who we talked about last week? What does really seeing God and really being captivated by God, what does that look like? Looks like Paul. And you say, I'm not Paul. That's right, you're not Paul. And neither am I. But you are, if you're a Christian tonight, you are redeemed. And God means for you to run your race. Right? God means for you to run your race. And he means for you to run it in such a way, what? You remember what Paul said? That you might win. This is not a stroll. This is not a meander. This is a sprint. Right? That's actually what the word means in the Greek. The running of the race is agony. Agnon is the, is, is the Greek root, I think. So, this is not passive. <laughs> as, as John MacArthur so well says, Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. And I know your average Christian believes that that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but those of us who read our Bibles know best. Um, so, Revelation 4.8, you'll know the text, most likely. The four living creatures, what do they do? What do these guys do? What do the four living creatures do? Anybody remember the four living creatures? They were captivated. They have eyes all around and within is what the text says. And I've always mused about the prospect that I know they wish they had one more eye. Why do you think I would say that? Because they're just looking at God. They're captivated. My point is, God means for you to be as well. And my point is this, if you're not, then you've got work to do. If I'm not, I've got work to do. This is the thing I confessed to Karen the other day. You know, I got a little bit down about some things. and I said, I'm so embarrassed. I am so embarrassed. I want to be captivated today. I'm not captivated. I want to be captivated. And, you know, she's, she's very wise. She says, well, let's look at God. Let's look at God in the Word. Beloved, God means for us to be captivated. He created us and redeemed us to be captivated by his beauty. So these guys are just looking at God. My seminary professor said, you know, if you tapped one on the shoulder, the Revelation 4 guys, if you tapped one on the shoulder, do you think he'd turn around? He would not turn around. He's only been looking at God for however long he's existed. We don't know how long that is. It may be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. We're not really sure how long these angelic beings have existed. But he's not going to turn around and look at you. He's looking at God and he's not going to turn around, right? It's the eternal gasp, as my seminary professor said, the eternal gasp. You were built for a gasp. <laughs> That's what a gasp is for, right? That's what a gasp is for. That's why God created a gasp. Now, I know you might use one at the Alps or the Grand Canyon or a beautiful sunset. You might gasp audibly. But what a human gasp is really about is about seeing the beauty of God. So mature Christians understand it's not about us. It is about the Lord. And why is that good news? I say this a lot, but it helps me. Why is that good news? Because you're not that interesting. Right? 
you're not. Now, you may be more interesting than me, but you're not, you're not that interesting. At some point, you will get to the end of yourself. This is, you'll get to the end of yourself. Jesus Christ is infinitely interesting. You never get to the end of him. We can't help but be hopelessly captivated by the beauty and the glory of Christ. So, as we often say, God has put eternity in our hearts, and God means to fill that up with himself. It's a simple equation. This is not mysterious. This is why nothing in this world will satisfy you. If you get everything you want times a gazillion, whatever that is, it won't be enough. You could pour the whole cosmos into your heart and into your soul and into your mind, and it will not be enough. And this is what Moses is praying about tonight, right? Moses has seen more of God than anyone else has ever seen. Now, you know this, right? Right? Now, Adam and Eve, pre-fall, they had some, some uh, up-close and personal experiences with, with the Lord. But that was pre-fall. Post-fall is completely different. And Moses has seen more of God than anyone else has ever seen. And what's he praying about? What is he actually saying? I want to see more. This is what God is, this is what Moses is saying. I want to see more. This is his prayer. This is the essence of his prayer. So Moses has seen a lot. He watched God crush Egypt. He's walked through the Red Sea. He's eaten the manna. He's drank water from a rock. He's seen God's wrath and grace in the camp. Moses has seen more than any man has ever seen. And he knows more about God than any man has ever known. He met face to face with God at the burning bush. But what Moses knows is he hasn't seen anything yet. And this is the point. This is the, the, the point I want to make to you tonight. And I want you to walk out of here. And I want you to think deeply about this. I haven't seen anything yet. And after a billion eternities, you will be able to say, I still haven't seen anything yet. Now, do you have this concept of God in your mind, this infinite exuberance? Do you have this in your mind and in your heart? Let's just back up for a minute. Um, you know the story. Let me give you the, uh, let me give you the uh, context. Um, Moses, yeah, Moses was uh, exiled. He's uh, pasturing his father-in-law's sheep. And what happens to him? I love, I love this too about the story, right? He, he was really on a pursuit of God. He was looking for God. He couldn't find God. He just kept wanting to find Now, God found him. God comes to him. And God challenges Moses. Moses had a comfortable life. Um, yeah, it was doable. He knew what every day was going to look like. <laughs> and God says, hey, 
I want you to go do something impossible. Um, don't you love it when the Lord does that? So Moses goes with God. And he sees these miraculous things. But Moses knows he has not seen anything yet. It's the deepest part of the worship we see in Revelation 4 from the, for, from the four living creatures. They will not turn around. I believe my seminary professor is right about that. I can't give you a text on that. They're not going to turn around and waste their time looking at you when they can look at infinite beauty. This is the essence of, of Moses' prayer. I hope this is the essence of your prayer. I hope this is the essence of your life. And I'm going to challenge you, right, tonight. If this is not part of your prayer life, I'm going to challenge you to incorporate it in your prayer life. Lord, show me your glory, right? As one theologian said, this is a prayer that God loves to hear. He loves to hear this prayer and he loves to answer this prayer. When was the last time you asked God to show you his glory in your circumstance? He loves this prayer. He loves it. And he loves to answer it. So... I'm just going to challenge you tonight. You're supposed to know that you haven't seen anything yet. And if you don't know that, if you came in here not knowing that, don't ever forget it. You're supposed to know you haven't seen anything yet. What you know about Christ is infinitely eclipsed about, uh, by what you will soon learn about Christ. I was talking to Karen today. I mean, we're out of here. I'm out of here in 19 years if I get my 84 years. I looked it up. I'm supposed to get, I looked at the Social Security website the other day. I'm eligible for Social Security, okay? Pretty close. And, you know, you put in your stuff and I'm going to get 84. That's what they say. It looks like, Jim, you're going to get 84. I'm 19 years away, which is nothing. I mean, this is nothing, right? 19 years. So, I'm out of here, man. And, uh, I want you to know, I want you to know, you're supposed to know you haven't seen anything yet. And I want you to be praying Moses' prayer. Again, it's the deepest part of that worship in Revelation 4. So three truths. I, I, I almost never do this, but I have three points. I, almost, I never do the point sermon thing. I don't really appreciate it as a congregant, and so... I don't often do that, but here's here are the three points I want to make. The born-again believer really does desire to know God more intimately. We're going to see this in Moses' prayer. You've heard it read. The born-again believer really does delight in God's presence. This is the highest possible delight that I can experience is when I'm in communion with God. And thirdly, the born-again believer, we really are beginning to understand about infinite exuberance, about the eternal gasp. We really are starting to get that. Now, I'm challenging you guys. Some of you guys may just be churchgoers. I don't, I don't really know. I can't see your heart, right? Church going, good. But that can't be it, man. It can't be about church going. 
It's got to be about way more than that, right? So this is uh, some of the things I want to talk about. So again, there's been, there's been um, rebellion in the camp. Chapter 32, Moses has interceded. There has been judgment. There has been repentance. And then Moses is alone with God and he is praying. I'm going to reread verses 12 and 13, Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring this people up, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Verse 13, Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may, what does he say? That I may what? That I may go to church uh, on Sunday if it's appropriate, or that, that I may uh, go down to the synagogue or the tabernacle. Of course, we know that these things didn't exist in his day. But look what he says, that I may know you, right? That I may know you. God wants you to pray this prayer. Beloved, God wants you to pray this prayer. That I, this has got to be the most compelling motivation of our lives, right? Let me finish. That I may know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So do you hear it? The first, the first point. What is this about? This is about being moral. No. This is about doing law. No. This is about, um, you know, being a, a nice guy. No. What is this about? This is about desire. He desires God. So I, this is the bottom line. <laughs> do you desire God? I mean, really. I'm not, I'm, ta I'm not talking about academically or theologically or, you know, doctrinally you know the right answer I know you know the right answer in your quiet moments it's you it's just you do you desire God this this will tell us everything about ourselves do you really do you really desire God or do you just want God to perform Moses has seen God perform. Most of you have seen God, His faithfulness in your life, right? Do you desire Him? Do you desire God? This is a big deal, beloved. This is a huge deal. Moses says, let me know your ways that I may know you. I'm just going to ask this question for you to consider. I'm going to repeat it. Is God your greatest desire? In Exodus 33, Moses is expressing what we've been talking about the last few weeks. It's the worship or flee thing. You know, when you look at those big chapters, those big God chapters in Isaiah, it's worship or flee. You know, it's worship or flee. And uh, God willing, all of us have decided 
to worship. We saw in the Psalms that, that the psalmists were just, they could not stop praising this God. They, they could not stop doing it. We've, we've been looking at that. Last week we saw what it really looks like to desire the presence of God in your life. And we talked a lot about this. I won't go into detail, but we, 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 we actually experience God's presence in obedience. That happens in obedience. So we've heard, we, you guys know what the psalmists say. There's those great psalms, 63, 42, 73, 141. And they use these words, right? These are the words that the psalmist use. As they lust for God. Now, that may offend some of you to use this word in the same sentence with God, but lust is a perfectly good word. It's just always used in a negative context. You were made to lust for God. Listen to the psalmist. I'm panting for you. I'm thirsting for you. I'm desiring you. I'm yearning for you. I'm longing for you. I am earnestly seeking you. They wanted God. It's what we see in the text tonight. Moses wants God. So, Jim, you keep saying this. I know because I want you to want God. I really want you to want God above everything else. Can you say that? Honestly. Listen, this is a, a, you know, when you come in here, we're going to look in the mirror and we're going to look at all the warts. You've got a few warts. I've got a few warts. Um, do you really want him like that? Do you really desire God like that? This is, <laughs> this is what the Bible is driving us to. You know how Paul says it. Don't turn there, but Philippians 3, 7, 10. Let me just read you this excerpt. You remember what he said? Paul said, man, whatever was gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, that I may, what? Know Him. Paul is saying, you can have all of it if I get Him. I know modern Christianity doesn't talk like this very often, you know. People come in, pat them on the head, everybody be comfortable, have a great week. Hey, life's too short, I'm an old man, I only got 19 years, according to Social Security Administration website. Man, I'm going to challenge you guys, right? You, you have a lot longer than I. Now, Etheray and I are the oldest two guys in the room, right? It's always that way, right, Etheray? We're always the oldest two guys in the room. That, that's always true for me anymore. So... This matters. It matters. This matters. So yeah, Paul's a real lover of Jesus, and I dare you to get between a real lover of Jesus and Jesus Christ. Don't get between, don't try to get between that. <laughs> you know, um, you won't survive. You won't survive. All right, here's, here's another Piper quote. You know I love him, I apologize. You guys that have been around, you've heard this a lot. Human life is all about God. Tonight, I'm going to give you the rest of the quote. Piper writes, human life is all about God. John Piper, famous preacher in the States. I'm going to give you the rest of the quote. It's a little bit lengthy, so please just kind of tune in and listen. Human life is all about God. That is the meaning of being a human being. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have substance. There is weight and significance in our existence when we live like this, he's saying. 
Not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be a mere shadow of the substance we were created to have. This is a great tragedy. When humans forsake their maker by loving other things more, they become like the things they love. Small, insignificant, weightless, inconsequential, and God-diminishing. Paul understands it, and so does Moses. And the whole point about you being here tonight is that you'll understand it. You're not here by accident, right? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, this is a divine appointment with God. That's what this is. You come in this door, you walk through that door. Every Sunday is a divine appointment. That's how I see it. And I hope that's how you see it as well. Let's quickly summarize verses 14 to 18. God says, my presence will go with you. Verse 15, uh, Moses says, if your presence does not go, then I don't want to go. Right? Verse 16 how can it be known that we have found favor with you? Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken. And here's the deal. If you're asking for more of God, guess what? He's going to answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer. Oh, you desire me more? Great! That's why I created you. That's why I redeemed you. Yeah, I'll answer that prayer. I'll, I'll answer it. That's what he's doing here in verse 17. You have found favor in my sight, and I, I have known you by name. And then Moses says, I pray, show me your glory. So the Lord's promised Moses, oh, I mean, again, Moses has seen all this stuff, and he was up front, you know, close at hand, right on the front lines with all this amazing stuff that God has done. And he's been promised the promised land. And you know they're jazzed about this. The Jews have been waiting for this for a long time. And Moses doesn't seem to care about any of it. What does he want? He wants God. He wants God. This is why you were created. This is why you were redeemed. You weren't redeemed for any lesser thing than to want God. It's like Moses says, I don't care about any of it. I don't want any of it without you. If you don't go with us, I don't want it. Don't you love it? <laughs> Isn't that the way it should be? Of course, it's the way it should be. Moses says, verse 16, you're the best part of us, man. You're, you are our renown, verse 17. And God makes that promise. I will do this, for I have known you by name. Made me think of John 10. Hey, if anyone ever asks, how can I be sure I'm a real Christian? Just go to John 10. My sheep, what? They hear me. My sheep, what? know me and my sheep what? Follow me. That's what Christianity looks like. Real Christianity. Biblical Christianity. So if you, ever, if you ever have a friend ask you, you need to talk to your child about it, what does it look like? What does it really look like? It's like sheep loving, knowing, and following their shepherd. This is what it always looks like. 
It's John, the John 17, 3 thing. You can make a mental note or write it down. This is, this is Jesus' definition of conversion. As He prays to the Father in John 17, 3, that they may know You. That they may know You. So verse 18, Moses says, Show me Your glory. Moses has seen more of God than any man who has ever walked the face of the earth. And he knows he hasn't seen anything yet. And I want you to walk out the door tonight knowing you haven't seen anything yet. Karen and I go there a lot. We'll say to each other, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. All the best stuff is out in front of us. And it's out there forever, right? <laughs> it's out in front of us. So with us a a good day or a hard day, it kind of, you know, at the end of the day, doesn't ultimately matter because we have all of this awesome stuff in front of us, God being our reward, as we've talked about the last, or mentioned the last few weeks, God is our reward. I just want to say this, beloved, this kind of heart for God, it's a big deal with God. It's a, it matters to God. You, you think God's impressed you came to church? Well, okay. I don't think He's impressed. I don't think he's impressed I became a preacher. These kinds of, you know, God's not easily impressed. Exodus 33, I think if God can be impressed, it's that his people desire him like this, right? It's that his people desire him like this. God created the world for God. This is great news, right? He's my reward. As God is glorified, my joy is complete in Him. Again, this is a big deal with God. I've been a Christian for 38 years. I've been looking at Him and studying Him and experiencing Him for 38 years. And I do know, I give you a confession, I know I haven't seen anything yet. As I study my Bible and I read good theologians, my, my, as the psalmist says, my heart continues to, to get, to, I'm, I'm losing the exact word. How, how does he say it? How does, it's, it's in Psalm 119. Uh, it's not coming to me. But our hearts are expanded as we continue to look at the Lord. So I'm going to ask you this question again. Are you captivated? Are you captivated? Can I say this? And I, I say it something like this a lot. <laughs> Can I say this? If you're not captivated, you know whose fault that is? I mean, God's just being God. God's just being glorious. God's just being amazing. If you're not captivated, it's not because God's not being God. And God's not being awesome, and He's not being wondrous and spectacular and magnificent. No, you're not seeking Him. And I'm not seeking Him. I'm indulging my anxieties and my depressions and my fears and my concerns. God says, here I am. What is it? I forget. Is, that Jeremiah? is it Jeremiah or Ezekiel? Here I am. Here I am. That is the invitation of the Bible. God says, here I am. Moses gets it. He gets it. It's about God. It's about desiring God. It's about pursuing God. 
God, show me your glory. Give me what you made me for. And that is you. That's you. Give me what you made me for. Hey, some of you have great families and great careers and got a great 401k and everything looks good. You weren't made ultimately for these things. These are blessings that God gives. We're to enjoy the blessings God gives. <laughs> you were made for God. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that God made the world for God? And you, pardon me, He is the purpose for which you exist. I'm not exhorting you to pursue God because it's right. Of course it's right. I'm exhorting you to pursue God because it's why you were created. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me all of it I can see. Hey, put this in your prayer tonight, right? Give, give my heart what you made it to desire. Fill me up with yourself. Moses has figured out what this life is all about. And man, he's lived an amazing life. He's one of the most amazing men that has, has ever lived. He's seen a lot of amazing things. He's been a part of amazing things, but he's figured it out. Maybe he is the greatest human being as far as exploits. And I'm not including Jesus Christ in that category. He's the God-man. But he's figured it out. What really matters is seeing God. <laughs> That's what really matters. Here's what he's learned. Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill up Moses with God. So if, if you don't know this, that this is why you're here. This is why you were created. Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill up Moses with God. I'm going to say it one more time. Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. It's the only reason you exist. It's the ultimate reason you exist. This is what true worship I think looks like to God. This kind of desire. This kind of desire for Him. So do you thirst for God? Do you yearn for God? Are you longing for God? This is always a hallmark of true conversion. We saw it again last week in Paul's life as he earnestly pursued the Lord. It's not only biblically accurate to say, it's urgently important to say that to truly desire God is to truly worship God. It's why, it's why God cannot stomach lukewarm religion. He says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He hates it because it's, it's backhanded blasphemy, right? It's saying, you're not really even worth, you're not worth getting excited about. It's like saying to God, I'm not even going to expend any energy on you. Yeah, okay, I acknowledge you have to be there. There has to be an adequate first cause. I acknowledge that. Yeah, you have to be there. I'm sure Jesus is the God, the, the, the creator God. There is no other candidate on the premises or, uh, shall we say, present uh, in the world that uh, makes any sense. But, you know, I'm just not excited about it. I just can't get excited about it. Again, beloved, this is a great insult to the Lord.
it's the three dollars worth of God thing. God help us if that's our mentality. I just want a little inspiration. This is, again, contrary to what we see in the Scriptures. Let's finish up here. Verse 19. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. He said, but you can't see my face for no man can see me and live. <laughs> the Lord said, I have a place for you here. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And as my glory passes by, I will put you there and I will cover you with my hand. And then I will take my hand away and you will see the, my back, but my face you shall not See, so it's our third point. True believers are in on the eternal gasp. We are in on that. And yeah, I know, I think Andre's probably watching on Zoom and uh, Ashley and Elaine will probably remember this, but I like to do this when I'm preaching Exodus 33. What does your Bible say in verse 24? What does your Bible say in verse 24? What does it say, Laney? 24? Yeah, verse 24, Exodus 33. What? It doesn't exist. Oh, it doesn't exist. Why doesn't Moses write down what he saw? You tell me. You know. Why doesn't Moses write down what he saw? He saw the back side of the glory of God. He doesn't write one word about it. Are you kidding me? Why not? He can't. He can't write it down. Tongues and angels of men fail. He can't write it down. I'm getting goosebumps. I've got them. If you don't believe me, you can come feel my arm. He can't write it. <laughs> this is supposed to be a big deal to us. Is it a big deal to you that Moses can't write it? He can't write it. I love it. And as I said to you earlier, this is what a gasp was made for. So I know some of you guys are too holy to write in your Bibles, but I've written in, this is the Jim Albright unauthorized version, I've written in verse 24 and I put the word gasp with an exclamation point. I know some of you are probably too, you're too holy to do that. But it reminds me of something I think that's very, very important. Looking at God is the preeminent desire of Moses' heart. It's ultimately all he really wants to do. And how is this different from the encounter Moses had with God Back in chapter 3, verse 6. Do you remember Moses was afraid to look at the face of God and now he wants the face of God? What's that about? What's happened? Moses has been changed. He's no longer alienated from God. He's in fellowship with God. Of course, we know for us, New Testament context, 
That happens through Jesus Christ. Right? So, he wants as much of God as he can get. Verse 19, the Lord says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. This is Yahweh. This is the unpronounced name for God. Yahweh. You may remember in Exodus 3, this is, Moses asked God his name and he said, I am that I am. So what is the Lord saying when he says, I am? And this is like a hundred sermons. Let me just say it this way. God is saying, I am all you will ever need, want, or desire. It's one of the things. He's saying everything in that name. One of the things he's saying to his people is, I will be everything you need, want, or desire forever. So Moses has learned that he's learned that there is an eternity of desire within his heart, and only God can satisfy it. So we were made by this awesome God and for this awesome God. And the breathtaking truth of Scripture is that God is giving Himself to us. This has been made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And your Christianity is only peripheral to you on a daily basis? That's probably not true of anybody in here. But if it is, do you see the blasphemy in it? Do you see the blasphemy in it? Let me close with uh, a C.S. Lewis quote. You can always count on Brother Lewis. He's right about this. Lewis is right about this deep longing in the soul of man. Listen to how he writes it. He says, man. Well, he didn't say man. That's me. He says, man, we do not want merely to see beauty. We want something else which can hardly be expressed. Yeah. To be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it unto ourselves, to bathe in it, and to become part of it. It's John 17. Go read John 17. It's Jesus prays to the Father, and Jesus is asking that in some mysterious way, we're caught up with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's mysterious. I won't even comment on it. I'm afraid I'll, you know, bleed over into blasphemy. There's something mysterious about the unity of the believer with the triune God. And we will taste his glory and we will taste his joy. Just go read John 17. Don't read it before you try to go to bed at night. You won't be able to go to sleep. This is our inheritance, beloved. God's our inheritance. It's good news. God made the world for God. That's good news. He's my inheritance. God's my inheritance. <laughs> God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Moses prayed, O oh Lord, show me your glory. The prayer 
God loves to hear and the prayer God will spend a billion eternities answering, beloved. Are you captivated? Are you captivated? If you're not, go home and get on your face and get some work done with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the text. What a beautiful truth. <laughs> thank you for showing this, showing this to us in Moses' life. Thank you for this fundamental foundational, bottom-line truth about worship, which is desire. It's desire for you. If it's less than desire for you, I am convinced it is not pleasing to you. I think you're pretty clear about that in the in both the Old and New Testaments. You would have your people longing for you, panting for you, striving to know you more because you are worthy. You are worthy. So Lord, I pray that if we need to be convicted, let us be convicted. If we are not captivated by who you are and what you've done and what you've promised, Lord, I pray. Bring the conviction. For we indeed need to repent. Life's too short. Life's too short. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.